Good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning, to be in front of you. And it's my prayer that after my lesson is done that you can say it was good to have been here. I spoke with Luke just a minute before church this morning about the scripture reading. He said, just Acts 2.38? I said, yeah. You know what it says. And he said, yeah. It says, be baptized for remission of your sins. I said, and? And he thought a minute. And I said, you will receive? He said, yeah, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The topic was suggested from one of our members when we'd given out a list of topics for discussion. My sermon doesn't even scratch the surface of this topic. I've been a Christian well over 40 years. Member of the church, we've worshiped a number of different places. During that time, I would guess that I've heard maybe, maybe a half a dozen sermons on the topic of the Holy Spirit. I was involved at one congregation with an in-depth study of the Holy Spirit, which was grossly inaccurate and, and taught inappropriately. I believe that the topic of the Holy Spirit is one of the most, under, most misunderstood, misused, and underutilized and understudied topics that I know of. Yet, when we read Acts 2.38, we see that the verse combines baptism for the remission of your holy sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the late 70s and most of the 80s, I did a radio program with the church in Glen Burnie when we worshiped there. It was a live call-in talk radio program in Baltimore. And inevitably, each week, every Saturday, the most requested topic or the call-in topic was about the Holy Spirit. We, each who are counted among the body of Christ, have two spirits within us. One, if you've been baptized by no choice of our own, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, given from the God of heaven. The other spirit being your inner spirit, the spirit of man, that helps us to make our own decisions and to choose what we do and say and live our lives. There are many and tremendously varying concepts regarding the Holy Spirit. Uh, the teachings and the claimed enactments of faith and behavior regarding the Holy Spirit in, in nearly every religious body. Sadly, the church that, that we attend is pretty silent about it for the number of years that I've been in it. Um, some full gospel or holiness churches as we may recognize them, uh, like the Church of, uh, church of God, the Assemblies of God, they find ways to be filled with the Spirit in such a way that sometimes it causes them to roll in the aisles or jump up and down or to speak in tongues and do various things or they find some other measure of special powers given them by the Spirit. Of course, we know they deceive themselves when they do these things. That's not what the Bible teaches accurately about the Holy Spirit. And we do not support such behavior or belief. 
1 Corinthians 13 talks about the doing away of the special powers that the apostles had and some others. And I would confidently say that the way that the people in today's society act is not the way that it was, the Spirit was expressed in New Testament times. I've had two experiences personally with this. Both times were funerals several years ago. A good friend of mine at work's wife passed away. I worked with him every night. When I learned his wife had passed, of course, I went to the funeral. I did not know that they were a member of a holiness-type church. And when I got there, very large congregation, there must have been 500 people there. But shortly into the service, people just got up and started doing crazy things. And a couple people stood up on the top of the pews and were walking on the pews and different things. People just have no concept of the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit that lies within us. The Baptist, well, let me back up. When I saw that, I simply looked and I said, no, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. Not in us today. The other occasion, a member of the church at Glen Burnie's husband died. And we had been working with him for some time trying to convert him unsuccessfully. And before we could, he developed a brain tumor and passed away. And we went to his funeral. And this story gets a little different. The funeral was right up here on Ritchie Highway, just past the Beltway. And it was a hot summer day, very hot. They had the tent out over the gravesite. And we were all standing there at the service. And about two minutes into the service, a very calm, hot, sunny day, the wind started blowing and the wind picked up speed, and the wind started blowing at about 40 miles an hour and blew the tent right down in the middle of the funeral service. His family, his, in its entirety, were holiness people and who declared that was the Holy Spirit acting at that time. Now, when I saw these things happen, I kind of had to scratch my head and say, gosh, this is really unusual. I would never deny the power of the Holy Spirit or an act of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that that was or wasn't, but I'll just leave it at, it sure was strange to watch this happen. The wind blew for 30 seconds, blew everything down out of the way, calm back down. We proceeded with the funeral service, and they were all very happy. The Baptists seem to have a reasonable grasp on this Holy Spirit. I've studied with a number of Baptist people who do seem to understand who the Holy Spirit is. But they deny the, the concept of baptism being for the remission of your sins. Thereby leading me to believe that they do not, because they say they don't have to be baptized to be saved, if they're not baptized for the remission of their sins, how can you then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? But I'm not here to talk about other congregations, other denominations, or religions. With so much misunderstanding on the matter, I defer to the scriptures for my knowledge and my understanding and my practice of such spiritual matters. Many questions come up in the church about the Holy Spirit. And some of these I received about, about my sermon today. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? What's his purpose? How do we receive him? For how long? He lives in me? How is that? Who is the Holy Spirit? We first read of him in Genesis. He was with God from the beginning and introduced in Genesis chapter 1 in the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. He was there from the beginning. We also know from John 1, 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Throughout my sermon, I'd like you to hear a couple little things on the side. One is how many times we read, and I won't read all of them, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together in conjunction with one another for us. He loved us so much. As John 3.16 says, he gave his only begotten Son for us. And he gives us his Spirit. And you'll see that Jesus works in our past and present. His death is behind us. The Spirit is in us now and works within us on a daily basis. And God the Father awaits for us in heaven for eternity. How wonderful the God of heaven is to give these things to us who are sinners. Who is this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a real person who came to reside within Jesus Christ's true followers. After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Jesus told his apostles in John 14, verses 15 through 17, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him. We know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The concept may be very hard to grasp that how does somebody live within us, but the God of heaven and the word of God tells us that it is so. Therefore, I believe it. And each one of us who are baptized believers in Jesus Christ have that spirit within us. I found another peculiarity when I read this, and, and like with Luke, when you read the scriptures over and over and over, and you understand and you see and you read all these years, that all of a sudden something else pops up. You saw it. You know what it says. But in John 14 and 16, it says, I will give you another comforter. Another comforter. Comforter sometimes meaning advocate. Uh, and it's used in John 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 16 and 7. Jesus uses it, which we can relate to as an advocate. He is another advocate. Jesus is our advocate. The Spirit is our advocate. Both are essential in our salvation. And the Holy Spirit, even though it's not mentioned as often or is not as prevalent in our conversation and our study as Jesus himself is or as God the Father is, the Holy Spirit is not a vague or a lethal shadow, or a lethal meaning dim or not prominent, etc. And he's not an impersonal force. He's a person equal in every way with God the Father and Jesus the Son. He's considered to be the third head of the God the third member of the Godhead, and Jesus said to his apostles again, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there they go again, working in unity for us. Teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. God is the Father. God is the Son. And God is the Holy Spirit. And all the divine attributes that are ascribed to the Father and Son are equally ascribed to the Holy Spirit. When, he, when a person becomes born again by believing and receiving Jesus Christ through baptism, God resides in that person through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has intellect, emotion, and will. A 
A primary role that the Holy Spirit is that he bears witness of Jesus Christ. He tells people's hearts about the truth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit also acts as a Christian's teacher. He reveals God's will and God's truth to a Christian. He told the disciples in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, Holy Spirit, my name, teach you all things and bring you unto remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So he helps us to understand. <clears throat> he gives us meaning of, this, of the truth of God. Howbeit when he, the Holy Spirit, in John 16 and 13, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that, he sh that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit was given to live inside of those who believe in Jesus in order to produce God's character in the life of the believer. Again, what a tremendous blessing the God of heaven has given us to have the Spirit live in us, to help us along the way to eternity where God waits for us. In a way that we cannot do on our own, the Holy Spirit will build into our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Rather than trying to be loving and patient and kind, God asked us to rely on him to produce these qualities in our lives. He is sent as a helper, a comforter, a teacher, and dwells inside of us. Thus, Christians are told to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And the Holy, Holy Spirit empowers Christians to perform ministerial duties to promote spiritual growth among Christians. He has such an important role in our faith. So that's who he is. What does he do? He leads us. He leads us in our thoughts, in our prayers, and in our decisions and in our actions with the caveat of if we will let him. If we will let him. I'm glad that there's this interest in the topic because it's impossible to follow God unless we are led by the Spirit. We have to allow the Spirit to lead us. And the only way to be led by the Spirit is to follow God's command to be filled by the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And interestingly, he contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk. And I looked at that and I went, hmm? Drunk? Somebody who's drunk on wine or alcohol or, or overtaken by drugs is controlled and consumed by the alcohol. Therefore, in similarity, someone who is drunk in the spirit is controlled and consumed by the spirit. We allow it to take over in our thoughts and our way and allow the spirit to lead us. And in using that term drunk, in no way am I assimilating to uncontrolling or, or no knowledge, like when you're drunk. He helps us to live holy lives. How are we filled with the Spirit? The Holy Spirit entered into each of us when we decided to give Christ our life and become a Christian through baptism. But we need to continually ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to help us to do the thing God wants us to do. When we're growing as Christians, 
we should allow the Spirit to take control over more and more areas of our lives. Because in doing so, we let go of our lives and we give our lives over to God. And we are led by him and his Spirit in following Jesus Christ. You can read about some of them in the passages in John 14, John 16, Romans 8, Galatians 5. If you look, look into those, and if you'd like, I can give you a list of the scriptures that I've used if you'd like to, to study this further. John 14, for example, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will comfort us when we're hurting. I will not leave you as orphans. He said in 14, 18, promising that the Spirit will bring us peace. Jesus also says the Spirit will help us recall things we've learned about. So many times, and I always have to refer back to Google or to my Bible or look for something because I just don't remember where. I can remember a lot of what it says, but I can't remember where. And I, and I pray to the Spirit to help me have a recall of those things. But the Spirit does help us recall John 14, 26, which also means the Spirit will help us when we teach others about our faith. If you have enough knowledge within to be baptized, to become saved, and to have the Spirit inside of you, you have enough knowledge to teach somebody else the same thing. You should be able to do so. In John 16, Jesus refers to the Spirit as a counselor who will guide us in our everyday lives. One way he'll guide us is to convict us of sin, 16 verse 8. And this is really a good thing. God wants us to get rid of the things that displease him. And the only way to do those things is to be convicted by the Spirit. The Spirit works through our conscience to make us aware of the sins in our lives. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit will help us to stop sinning and do the things that please God. He also acts as an intercessor and goes to God on our behalf. He teaches us, he guides us, he leads the way, and he has a direct relationship with the Father on our behalf. How wonderful, how wonderful the Spirit is. A verse later in that chapter also teaches us that the Spirit helps us to pray. We've all gone to God, and I'm so guilty of this. And you just say, I, I, I'm not sure what to say. I'm not, I'm not sure what to pray. Mary and I have conversations sometimes about praying. I say, you know, what do we pray for? Do we pray for yes? Do we pray for no? Do we pray for, what do we pray for? The Spirit's there to help us in these matters. He intercedes for us in those prayers. Now, the Holy Spirit is there, and he's a tremendous helper to us. But he can't do it all. We have to have an active role in our spiritual lives as well. We have to do our part which I would suggest is to consistently read our Bibles. Pray. Know God's word. Pray. Yield yourself to the spirit. And there's a, there's a pattern of success that nobody can deny. And if you do those things, you cannot help but to be successful in living in heaven for eternity. It's important to, to remember, though, that the spirit will not prompt us to do anything. Anything anything that goes against God's word. He will not allow us through his motive to do anything contrary to what the scriptures say. People can sometimes justify their actions by saying, my conscience told me. I felt moved to do this. We need to make sure that we're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and not to our own desires. So easily done. We know which is which by checking his voice against God's word. When we know God's word, allow the spirit to move us. That's the way it should be. How can you tell if you're being led by the spirit? By the fruits of your life. 
we read about these fruits based upon our actions and our attitudes. Galatians 5, and 23 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruits are those things being exuded from us by the lives that we live, by our attitudes, and by the things we say and do. Are these things evident in your life? Two verses later it says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is who the Spirit is, and this is what he does for us. We can't cover all the topics of the Holy Spirit, although at some point I would love for us to have a study on it. But one thing that I would like to touch on is the differential between the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit we've read about, we've heard about, and we've learned about. This is the gift that God gives us. The power of the Holy Spirit is altogether a different thing. And though gifts were used and called gifts, those gifts were given as the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people in early New Testament days had the power to heal, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, and to do various things. We read in Acts the 8th chapter, verse 19, Simon, when he saw that the power of the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of apostles' hands, he too tried to obtain his power by offering them money. And we know that story that he was condemned for such. So we do know that there was power of the Holy Spirit to do very specific things, that it was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And also in Acts the 10th chapter, it was given to them as it was to the apostles in Acts 1. So we see these powers, but there is a very big differential in those things. We need to discern which is which, which works in us and which does not work in us. Because again, 1 Corinthians 13 says that those kind of things will be done away with. That's not to say that there is not miracles done today. Because I believe God does things very miraculously that we are unaware of. And he answers our prayer and does things miraculously that we don't understand. But we know through our prayer that those prayers are answered sometimes. In Mark 16, the 20th chapter says, And then they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord, Lord working with them and confirming with the words, confirming the word with the signs following. The purpose of the gifts of power from the Holy Spirit were used to confirm the word of God. They were used to confirm the word of God. And after that time, it was over. When these, some of these were done, in Acts the third chapter, verse six through eight, we all know the story about the lame man at the gate and Peter and John going up and the man asking them for alms and said, let me have what you got. He puts his hands up expecting to receive something. And what did Peter tell him? Silver and gold I have none, but what I do have, I will offer to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And the lame man got up and walked. Again, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in unison, this act was done. Well, how do we receive that Holy Spirit? Luke read it. Acts 2.38, we're all so very familiar with. It's interesting that we focus so much on the baptism part of that verse, and not on the gift of the Holy Spirit part. When it's the Spirit of God who, after baptism, does so much for us in our Christian lives. We, 
can quench that spirit. And we're instructed not to quench that spirit. We do so by not walking in the light and by stepping away from the plow that once the scripture says we take hold of the plow, you keep looking forward and you don't look back. You stay in the light, you stay on the straight and narrow and you walk that way. <clears throat> I have a number of verses that refer to the Holy Spirit and these things that I'd love to share with you. Time is running short, so I, I will not read all those verses, but if you'd like to have them, I have them written down and can supply them to you. The second spirit that I mentioned is the spirit in each of us, the spirit of man. We each have our own spirit within, and we utilize that to make our decisions, to determine our actions and justify our own behavior. If we depend solely on this spirit in our lives, our own inner spirit, we're surely headed for destruction and at our own demise. Our spirit inside of us ought to work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit of God like the Holy Spirit of God works in conjunction with Jesus and the God, the Father. When we put the two of those together and do that and yield ourselves wholly to the Father and Son in all we do and say, it'll be a good thing for all of us and we'll all be saved by doing so. Our spirit determines the direction in our own lives as well. And I would ask each of you to consider today your own spirit. Look deeply inside yourself and ask, are you allowing the spirit of God to lead you? Romans 8, 8 and verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. This spirit will lead us to the path of righteousness to be with the Father forever. Do you have the spirit in you? We all have our own spirit. If you're a baptized believer, do you recognize that you have the spirit in you? Have you quenched that spirit? Do you allow him to intercede for you in prayer? Do you look at it wholly and in such a way that we can walk side by side with God, being led by the Spirit, and know that we have salvation. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. This is what our spirit does inside. Where are we along that way? The lesson is yours this morning. I would suggest that you look at that spirit. The congregation has a spirit, and I love the spirit of the congregation. I love this place. I love each one of you. And hopefully we'll be moving into a new chapter of the congregation here very soon, both with elders and a preacher, hopefully deacons, and doing some different things. And I'd like that spirit to motivate the growth of the congregation, both in spirit and in number and in faith and in knowledge and all those good things that we've mentioned that the spirit does. So I ask you today, do you have that spirit in you? If you've been baptized and have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and are you utilizing that blessing? Or have you not been baptized for the remission of your sins and received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I'd like you to take just a moment and evaluate your own position to consider that. If you know what the scriptures teach about salvation, about baptism, and about life as a Christian, and you haven't been baptized, why? Why would you wait? If you're subject to the invitation of baptism, or if you've 
feel a need to share with the congregation in need of prayer, we'd ask you to do so while we stand, while we sing.